I've got a message today that I actually think a lot of Christians need to hear, but it's not quite like you might think it is. Please be seated, by the way. We might all sit down be nice and comfortable. Yes, I want to talk about character, but not in any way that is condemnatory, because I actually think that God works with us to build our character after we become Christians and as we so often emphasise here at Ignite Life Church Gold Coast, the whole Christian life is an invitational life and Jesus is always, always, always inviting us to step up with him. And so it is the case in this whole area of character. I do have a foundation scripture that I want to refer to today and it's from 2 Peter, the second book of Peter, Chapter 1, uh, verses 5 to 7. These, this is the most important um, bit of, I want to read um, a longer scripture actually. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. That's a long list of things there. And often people who um, focus on uh, spiritual formation, they refer to this and talk about spiritual formation as a progressive process during our Christian life. I want to suggest something a little bit different to that, and I'll, I'll come to that shortly. But this passage is not really about the kinds of things we're meant to be doing so that we can qualify to be Christians or somehow qualify to get into heaven. This is about sanctification. And as you know, we teach here consistently that both justification and sanctification are something that happen at the very instant of our salvation. With justification, our legal status changes from sinner to saint. And uh, we're no longer held accountable for the sins that we have committed and indeed for the sins we are yet to commit because our forgiveness is complete in Christ. And similarly with sanctification, sanctification is our separation from the world and to Jesus in order to undertake the good works that he has prepared in advance for us. And we've spoken about that in recent times as well. I do want to come back to this passage very soon. I would like to suggest that character, which is an everyday word that we use, is analogous to sanctification and holiness. In fact, the same Greek word is translated sanctification and holiness in the New Testament. And the Greek word is hagiazo, and it actually literally means to sanctify, that is to separate out, or to make holy. So that's something that happens at the point of salvation. So as far as God is concerned, we have been sanctified. We have been set apart 
we're set apart from the rest of the world so that we can be enabled to do the good works that he has prepared for us. And we're made holy in God's eyes. But nevertheless, there's also an outworking of that sanctification or of that holiness. It's as if our, our position in Christ is a position of good character, a position of sanctification, a position of holiness. But who knows that whatever position we have in life, we don't always act in accordance with that position. So I'm a senior leader in my workplace and praise God most of the time I work in accordance with that position. But there are times perhaps when I'm overtired or when I'm cranky and I don't always act as I ought to act in my position. It doesn't actually mean that my position has changed. It just means that for a moment, hopefully, only temporarily, I'm acting as if I was someone without that position. And that's what we can do in our Christian life. And so we actually have to work diligently to make sure that the outworking of our position is appropriate. And our character develops as we outwork our position in Him. Now I want to read the first half of 2 Peter chapter 1 and then just unpack it for us here today a little bit. So here we have an epistle written to people who are already Christians. So they've already been sanctified. But what Peter is doing here is instructing them about how they can actually manage the outworking of their sanctified position. So do bear with me, I'm going to read the first 11 verses from 2 Peter. I'm reading from the New King James Version, but I've also got the New Living Translation written parallel with it in my notes here. Because I sometimes feel the New Living Translation helps us understand a little bit better in terms of contemporary language. But here we are from the New King James Version, 2 Peter chapter 1. Verses 1 to 11. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Sometimes that word bondservant is translated slave as it is in the New Living Translation. But a bondservant was essentially a slave who could have had freedom but has chosen instead to remain a slave for life to their master. That's the notion of the bondservant. So the bondservant was committed for life to serving the master. On the other hand, the master was committed for the life of that servant to supply all that the servant needed. And so you can see there's an obvious parallel between the idea of the bondservant and the idea of a Christian. We commit ourselves wholly to serve Jesus Christ for our entire lives here on earth he commits to supply all of our needs so long as we live on earth. To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God 
and Saviour Jesus Christ. So he's addressing this letter to people who are already Christians, those who have obtained like precious faith with the apostles. And he starts with a blessing. It's what I would call a shalomic blessing. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That, that's a fabulous statement, because what it's saying is that we are actually partakers of the divine nature. It doesn't actually mean that we are God, but it means we are like God in that we exhibit God-like nature. So where God is a God of justice, so too we are people of justice. Where God is a God of grace, so too we are people of grace. Where God is a God of mercy, so too we are people of mercy. Where God is a God of love, so too we are people of love. Where God is a God of wisdom, so too we are people of wisdom. Where God is a God of knowledge, so too we are people of knowledge. So all of those characteristics of God, we have too because of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Then he goes on to say, but also for this very reason, for this very reason that we have become divine-like because of our relationship with God through Jesus. For this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be ever more diligent to make your call and election sure for if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Now in that closing paragraph, he's not saying that unless you do all these things, unless you add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, etc., etc., unless you do it, you won't get into the kingdom. Going into the kingdom is absolutely assured simply because of the fact that you are saved. But in a sense, the welcome that you get there is going to be very much dependent upon how you live out your life as a Christian. And each of us will be rewarded differently according to the way we've actually lived out our lives as Christians. So getting into heaven, that's not an issue. It's not an issue at all. But there is something to be said for living our lives in such a way that we'll be remarked upon when we get to heaven, good and uh, well done, good and faithful servant. So let me focus 
for a little while on this, this list of characteristics of good character. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Now I mentioned in my introduction that often people who teach on spiritual formation look at this as a process which is a progressive process. That we start at one end, that, that is we start at the faith end, and then we end up with love at the end of this, the, uh, the process of spiritual formation. Now I happen to believe that we're fully spiritually formed at the point of our salvation. That is, when our spirit is renewed or regenerated, that is when the transfer takes place and our, our spirit cannot be any more renewed than it is at the point of salvation. So we are fully spiritually formed when we are saved, but it's the outworking of that new creation that is the issue here. And you see, when we're saved, as I've mentioned before, our spirit is renewed or regenerated, and that's the sense in which we become a new creation, but our soul isn't, and our body isn't. So you can be saved with a broken leg and still have a broken leg afterwards. And similarly, you can be saved with a broken soul and still have a broken soul afterwards. There's a process that takes place by which essentially we allow the new spirit, that new creation to invade, to take over our soul and our body. And that's how healing of the soul comes. That's how healing of the body comes when we allow that regenerated, renewed, recreated spirit to invade the other parts of our tripartite being. When you actually delve into the meaning of the original language in which this epistle was expressed, you see that the ad doesn't have the same meaning that it has to us today. When we think of ad, we think of a plus sign, don't we? I can remember when I was in primary school, the whole class used to sit on the mat at the front of the class and we used to practice adding up and we used to practice our times tables, we used to practice divisions and we used to practice sub, uh, subtracting as well. So I can remember that old 1 plus 1 equals 2, 2 plus 2 equals 4, 3 plus 3 equals 6. I learned that by rote when I was in uh, what they called infant school and primary school as a boy growing up in the bush. And so whenever we hear the word add, it kind of conjures up for us this image of adding something to something that already exists. And if we read this list with that frame of thinking, then clearly we, we begin to think of a kind of hierarchy that begins with faith, then progresses on to virtue and to knowledge and to self-control, to perseverance, to godliness, to brotherly kindness, and finally to love. But I don't believe that that is actually what is meant by this passage. Because the original languages 
that the word that is being translated add actually means to, to expand. It literally means, in fact, to, to supply. So what it's saying is out of our regenerated spirit, we're meant to supply all of these things that contribute to the building of our character as Christians walking out the Christian life. So I see this as an expansion or as a supply of all of these characteristics of good character, not one adding to the other through time. I hope you understand the difference there, because I actually think it's really important. It's important because if we believe this is literally adding, that will actually give us a particular frame of reference as we actually outwork our Christianity. But if we see it differently as, a, as an expansion or as a supply of these things, then we can do every single one of them simultaneously. That is, we can be working on brotherly affection and love and virtue and all of these things at the same time. And Jesus, of course, will work with us. So let me talk a little bit about what some of these words actually mean. Faith, I think, we probably understand. Our, our faith arises when we make that decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ, when we have a personal relationship with the person who saves us and who will lead us through the Holy Spirit into our Christian lives. I remember once I had this, this revelation that actually I will never need more faith than the faith I needed to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour. Because I'd never seen him. I'd never heard words from his lips. I'd heard about him. I read about him. But one day, I suddenly found enough faith to actually be able to say, I want to give my life to you, Jesus. So I did that before I knew him. And over time, of course, I've got to know Jesus better and better. And I would like to suggest that we, we will never need more faith than the day we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. And as we get to know him, and as we spend time in the Word of God, we begin to appreciate the promises, the provision that he has made, the, the promise of divine health, the promise of divine prosperity, the promise that he will outwork in our lives the specific calling for which he's actually set us apart or sanctified us, and the um, actual assignment that he gives us which will be in line with our calling. And as we build that relationship with Jesus, as our confidence in Him grows, that is faith. Believing that the Word of God contains promises of God, not just for His people as a group, but also for us as individuals. So that's faith. What's virtue? Well, virtue is sometimes translated in, in other translations, in the New Living Translation is one, but in some others as well, it's translated as moral excellence. So virtue is moral excellence. 
It's actually about God's character. So, you know, if we're partakers of the divine nature, if we have God-like characteristics, then we actually, we actually do have His character. And His character is part of the Spirit in us, regenerated at the point of our salvation. But, of course, in a sense, we have to let it out. We have to let it invade our soul so that it changes our way of thinking, so that it changes our speech, so that it actually changes our actions. So as we become more and more sensitive to the fact that we have the same character as God, then we begin to behave differently, and that's when we exhibit moral excellence. And moral excellence is exhibited in many, many ways. It's in, exhibited in our integrity, the way in which we deal with other people. It's um, exhibited in the integrity we show actually in secret when no one will ever, knew, ever know. Those kinds of things. It's exhibited in the way in which we relate to other people. It's exhibited in the diligence with which we apply ourselves in our workplace. There's a million and one ways in which we exhibit this moral excellence. It's not just avoidance of that which we know to be sin. Keeping a check on anger. I, I'm, I'm the kind of person who likes things to happen yesterday. So I can get very frustrated when things are going too slowly. Like I'm ready for a church of 600 people. And I get frustrated sometimes when we're still meeting in our lounge room and we don't have a facility. But of course, these things never happen overnight. So keeping a check on my frustration and focusing on that which God has actually placed in my hands today, that is a kind of moral excellence where we suppress that tendency in us to want to have everything yesterday and actually want everyone to fall in line and to, to follow our way and to do everything that we want, as you suppress that tendency, you open yourself up to God's character working in you. So we go on from virtue to, to knowledge. Now there are different kinds of knowledge in the world, of course. We've got books on the bookshelf here. If you go into my study, there's that many books again. 80% of those books are books on theology, the Christian life. I think between us, Jeanette and I have got nearly 20 different Bibles now, something like 14 different study Bibles. We've got books everywhere. So yes, we can gain a certain type of knowledge from those books. The balance of the books is really gardening and aeroplanes. There's not much else there. I like aeroplanes and both Jeanette and I are at least theoretical gardeners if not gardeners in practice, given that we don't have a lot of time to do it. But knowledge in this context is a much deeper kind of knowledge, and it's really knowledge about God's wisdom. So it's God kind of knowledge. And you only get God kind of knowledge by spending time with Him. And spending time with God actually means spending time in His Word. And I've been brought up on Kenneth and Gloria um, Copeland, the Believer's Voice of Victory, and um, you will virtually never find an article that they write in their monthly magazine. You'll never hear them on their program 
or um, on a on a CD or DVD, you'll virtually never hear them getting to the conclusion of a program without saying you need to be in the Word of God. And I actually agree with them. You can never gain the knowledge of God without being in the Word of God and without understanding that unlike any other book, this is actually a living book and that God will speak to you through the pages of this book. And I, I've lost count. There would be hundreds if not thousands of times when I have gained godly knowledge by reading his word. And the other way, of course, is in prayer. And I've had many, there are many, many cases where I've needed uh, some wisdom on a particular um, aspect of something, say, in my workplace, and I've gone to God and I say, I need to know. And God will always show me. And uh, it, it's just amazing. I remember once we had a particular issue to pray over and I said to some of my colleagues, well, let's commit this to prayer over the weekend and we'll get together on Monday and see what the Lord has said. And I started praying on the Friday night and within really a few minutes, God unmistakably showed me the way through. And I shared that with um, my colleagues in the end they didn't receive that that's their choice but actually it did turn out to be the right wisdom and we're actually paying the price for that now but that's a different um, a different issue that we don't need to go into but you can receive that knowledge both through the word of God as you read it and study it but also through prayer so that knowledge is not knowledge about how to grow nice flowers in your garden, or how to fix a motor or anything like that. This knowledge particularly is knowledge of God's wisdom and his ways as revealed in his word and in prayer. So from knowledge we go to self-control. Now in the original language that literally means take a grip of yourself. And um, this is one of my weak areas. It has been through my entire life, really. Um, I'm a lot better at it than I was before. Jeanette will know that before I was a Christian, indeed, I was an angry man. Not so much physically violent, but I got angry about a lot of stuff. I carried a lot of anger around with me. But this is great advice. Self-control. Because actually... When you practice self-control, after a while, you suddenly experience a peace that you never had before. And that has certainly been my experience. Little injustices and even large injustices that I experience in my life no longer produce anger. I sit down and just say to myself, well, you know what? I'm going to live until I'm 120 and I'm not 60 yet. There's more than 60 years to go for me to actually um, achieve my dreams. And I haven't achieved all of the dreams that I have in my heart at this point. But it's okay. I can afford to wait. And you know what? Even if they don't all happen before I die at the ripe old age of 120, I might go a little bit longer than that so Jeanette and I can go to heaven together, but... 
you know, I can take a grip of myself. And uh, sometimes by Wednesday night when we're running our alpha group, I'm starting to get pretty tired because we have big weekends these days. Um, this weekend's been a big weekend. Yesterday we did all our normal chores and then we spent time with family um, down at Cabarita Beach, which is great. My family, they're not Christians. They haven't given their heart to the Lord. It's wonderful to catch up with them, uh, to meet our niece and her partner who live in Sydney, which is great. But it took that time out of the day and we got back here. I had to get this morning ready. And without Ainsley's help, I had to put the whole um, service together. Praise God, that all worked out well. But I, I say to myself, why are we doing this? We do it because we love. And that's, for me, so often, this um, self-control comes to me when I just remind myself that this is about love. And that when Wednesdays become just a flurry of activity, I go to work early, try to knock off early, come home here so we can prepare a meal, etc., etc. I remind myself why we're doing that. We're doing it for love. And that gives me a degree of self-control. And you know, you can do it. You can do it because you've got the power of God at work in you. Perseverance and self-control are very, very closely related, like two fingers on the one hand. And perseverance, another word for perseverance, of course, is, is persistence. So you sometimes have to persevere with things in life. You've got to persevere with the Christian walk. I know in my own work sometimes I say, God, if I'm doing your will, and if doing your will is supposed to be so easy, how come it's all so hard? You know, how come I get so tired? How come not everybody sees things the way I see things? But you have to persist. You have to develop that quality of character which we call patience. And add to perseverance, godliness. Well, in a way, that's restating some of those other earlier ones. Godliness, God-likeness. Practice God-likeness. Remember I talked about God, God of justice, God of mercy, God of grace, God of love, God of wisdom, God of knowledge. All of those things are characteristics of God. Of course, God is also creative. God is relational. God is purposeful. God is a moral being. We've spoken about that at length in earlier discussion points here. But godliness is God-likeness, being more and more like God. Not being God, but being more and more like God. Brotherly kindness, I would say an, an easier way of, of defining brotherly kindness would be neighbour love. The kind of love, it's agape love, it's a love which people don't necessarily deserve, they cannot earn, but you love them anyway. And that everything you do, you do as an expression of uh, neighbour love. And brotherly kindness then leads to love. Love best defined, of course, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 
and I know that's a passage which is often read at weddings and I don't know whether many couples remember it seven years after they've been married but love is very much a verb and I remember I've been challenged on these people say oh it's not really a verb even when you have a look at uh, 1 Corinthians 13 but I'm told by people who understand Greek a lot better than I do that in fact Every one of the characteristics of love which is listed there in the original language is actually expressed as a verb. So to love requires an active, ongoing decision or choice that we make to act in the ways that are described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And you know what? That can be pretty hard at times. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. In some way, sometimes it's easier to engage in neighbour love than it is to engage in love for those who are closest to us. But nevertheless, we're called to a life of love. So all of those things, I don't think they are additive in the way in which we often think of things as being additive. It's not a 2 plus 2 equals 4 type of situation. Really what we have to understand is that at the point of salvation we have a position, a position of good character. And that arises because we're sanctified, we've been set apart by God and equipped by God for all of those things that he has appointed us to. But we don't always act in accordance with our position, and that's what developing character is all about. It's outworking our nature as someone who is sanctified. So we're to expand our faith with virtue, to expand our virtue with knowledge, to expand our knowledge with self-control, to expand our self-control with perseverance, to expand our perseverance with brotherly love, sorry, brotherly um, kindness, and to expand brotherly kindness with love. That's not a small thing. And we can only do it as long as we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. I don't think this is necessarily an exhaustive list. I don't think um, Peter was saying this is the only thing that matters. Nor do I think he's saying that these are the only things that we should work to expand as we walk our Christian life. You'll find in other parts of the Bible lists of things like fruit of the Spirit. You'll find gifts of the Spirit. And sometimes there are different parts of the Bible in which those um, lists occur and they're not all the same. So I don't think there's any intention that they be regarded as lists that are totally exhaustive. And we need to be sensitive to what God is doing in our lives because he might be speaking to us about something which is not necessarily in one of those lists. I've just finished reading a book which is... Um, it's called The Road to Character. And I was asked if I'd do a book review for um, a theological journal and they actually said I could do any book I wanted. And I chose this one. It's a fairly recently published book. 
as far as I know, the guy who wrote is not a Christian, doesn't say anything in there about his um, stance on faith. He may be, I just don't know. The book itself isn't written for Christians, and it's not really written from a Christian perspective, although David Brooks, the author, makes many, many, many references to Christian concepts. And I actually think he doesn't quite have the courage to go the full step and admit that you can't actually develop character without the Holy Spirit because of the sin nature that we have. But towards the end of the book, he defines what he means by character. It's a great book, actually. I recommend that you read it. It's very thought-provoking. This is what he says. Character is built in the course of your inner confrontation. So for us, that's a battle, if you like, between the regenerated spirit and the soul. All right? Character is a set of dispositions, dis desires and habits that are slowly engraved during the struggle against your own weakness. We can all identify with that, can't we? You become more disciplined, considerate and loving through a thousand small acts of self-control, sharing, service, friendship and refined enjoyment. If you make disciplined, caring choices, you are slowly engraving certain tendencies on your mind. He's really saying when you practice these things, actually, gradually, the spirit in you overtakes your soul and your thought processes, your words and your actions more fully align with your true character, the character of one who has been sanctified. So that's all I want to say on character. There are books and books and books that have been written by theologians on the development of character. I think really important for us to remember here today is that it's not so much a process of ticking the box for one and then moving on to the next one, ticking the box for that one and then moving on to the next one. It's about having this attitude, this idea that we're going to expand Band our faith into all these things. And I thought we might actually finish today.